0: Chapter One of A Queen This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther Ben A Queen by Audley Wildermuth Translated by Unknown. Chapter One Unconscious Rule Upon a broad, smooth meadow stood the dwelling of a small farmer whose chief support was drawn from the forest, from which, indeed, his farm had been taken, and whose house was the largest and best for some distance round. It was Saturday afternoon, the eve of the Lord's Day, and within doors, for in that remote province everybody still adhered to the good old habits of their pious ancestors, everything had been neatly arranged, and was left in quiet order, that all might be ready to give the proper devotional welcome to the coming day the green in front of the house however presented a scene quite animated enough to show that there was active life somewhere though there was none of the bustle usually attendant upon weekday occupations when one labor presses so closely upon another as to leave between them little time for rest old grandmother had put aside her wheel and now sat in the sunniest spot she could find with baby gertrude on her lap the farmer himself a healthy pleasant looking man sat on a wooden bench peeling willow rods the hired man was bestirring himself to finish up some odd jobs the serving boy was cleaning up the litter that had accumulated in different spots the tailor who had been there all the week making and mending and had been invited to stay over Sunday sat idly enjoying the calmness and repose of the hour the maid and the house mother as the mistress of the family is so beautifully called in germany were peeling potatoes for the family supper and the children were playing in the grass. Lisa, the eldest little daughter, was admiring the pretty new apron that the seamstress had just brought home to be in readiness for the morrow, and upon a low branch of the linden-tree sat Margelt, or, as we should say in English, Maggie, the orphan of a poor woman who had supported herself by spinning, and whose destitute child the kind-hearted farmer and his wife had, for the dear God's sake, taken into their own family. Tomorrow night they're all to the start for America, said the tailor, suddenly breaking the silence. There will be a great wagonful of them, and Christopher, the son of mine host of the Eagle, is to be one. Well, said the farmer, I thank God that I have no need to go abroad for a living. I get on very well at home. Yes, I believe that, said one of the maids timidly. You say what is very true, cousin, for among the peasantry of the fatherland, cousin, uncle, etc are the names by which the employed commonly address their employers but i think i should be like to be going with them for what could a poor thing like me do better and who knows either what might come to one out there i would rather get a place in the town said the other girl half aloud. that is not so far off there are always places enough to be had and in the town oh they do wear such beautiful clothes and i would like to be a soldier exclaimed little michael who had heard just enough to understand That they were naming their favorite occupations but i want to be a real soldier and have a horse and a golden trumpet i'd rather be a butcher cried jacob butchers have to travel so far they go about and see such fine places and such beautiful cattle what do you want to be george a farmer replied george the eldest in the house with an air of great importance there is no trade better than that nor pleasanter either i don't think so snoopled lisa with many airs and graces the town folks are a great deal more genteel i'd like to be a town lady or a schoolmistress then one can have as much money as one wants and need not be plagued really you are very knowing said the mother rather sharply town folks more genteel indeed in my opinion it's the meanest sort of life you can lead to be obliged to buy every pound of flour you can use and every time you are about to put a morsel into your mouth to have to ask how much does it cost "'Well, now, and what do you want to be?' said the quick-witted tailor, turning to Maggie, with whom he often passed a merry jest. "'What now, a ballet dancer, perhaps?' "'A queen,' was the quiet answer. A shout of laughter burst from every mouth. "'Maggie, the little charity girl, the queen?' "'Well, you're not so foolish after all,' said the tailor. "'But how are you going to work to make yourself one?' "'Oh, I shan't take much trouble about it,' said Maggie from a perch. "'I dreamed once that I was one, and had a golden crown on my head, "'and I liked it very much, so I would like to have it come to pass. "'But things of that kind, you know, tailor must come of themselves. "'You can't cut them out and patch them together as you do tailoring work.' "'The laugh was now turned against the tailor, "'who seemed for the time no longer inclined to jest with the little damsel. "'Come down here in the meantime, Madame Queen, "'and empty those potato parings in the pig pen,' called the mother. "'Maggie hopped down like a bird and laughed heartily with the rest "'at the unqueenly nature of the job. It was nearly dark, too, so everybody was obliged to go into the house. From that day forth Maggie went altogether by the name of Madame Queen, and was many a time bantered and laughed at about her wish. She did not let that trouble her. However, it went merrily on her way, for it was not possible to hurt her feelings seriously, for a more kind, merry-hearted creature the world did not contain. She sang from morning till night, and after she had been driven from one piece of work to another through the whole day, she was as lively and active in the evening as a young bird. And there was something very queenly in her, too. She was so gentle, so kind to all about her. Poor as she was, those who felt inclined to look down upon her found themselves foiled. The farmer's wild children had, at first, looked upon her as nothing better than a little dog, upon whom they could indulge all their whims. Sometimes they made her go on all fours like a dog and sometimes they wanted to get on her back and ride as if she were a horse then she must put into her pocket the stones of all the plums that they had stolen and eaten so that if the theft were discovered she would have to take the punishment and the mother knew all this but she never took any measures to prevent it she thought kindly toward the little thing and would not for the world have seen her suffer what she considered ill-treatment but these were only little annoyances little things and she contented her conscience with the thought that it would do no harm for a child situated as she was to learn betimes not to mind trifles lisa particularly looked upon her with great superiority and put on airs of vast dignity towards the poor little orphan in her ragged clothes so the child had no one to whom to open her heart except the orphan's god to whom her mother had taught her from her very infancy to go as to a father and a loving friend and such he had indeed shown himself, for he had bestowed upon her that blessed gift of a mind always contented and happy, throwing off trouble as a young bird shakes from its wings the drops of the summer rain. Many a child, blessed with kind parents, and everything else that could make them, life and them, comfortable and happy, does more grumbling, shows more discontent in one day than Maggie did in a whole year. Then, too, she had a pair of clear, honest eyes, and skillful fingers upon those little hands of hers, for she never lost an opportunity of learning something new, and knew how to make herself dear and useful to everybody. If Michael insisted upon having her help, and playing some of his wild, rough games, she would say quickly, Oh, that isn't nice! Just listen, Michael, I know such a pretty story! And before you could think, there sat not only Michael, but all the rest of the young ones, still as mice, close up round her listening to what she was telling them for she did indeed know very beautiful stories that her mother had taught her one of a beautiful lady named genevieve and the children in the wood and others still prettier lisa with all her airs of dignity was a very careless slovenly little girl always looking for things she had lost which she would not for a great deal have her mother to know that she could not find and lucky was it for her that maggie had taught to be both neat and careful it would be "'Oh, what in the world has become of my spindle? "'Where in the world is my thimble? "'I had it yesterday, and now I can't find it anywhere.' "'You left it yesterday,' Maggie whispered, "'lying on the floor, and I put it in your drawer.' Then there was another trouble for the poor orphan to bear. Lisa was a most miserable hand at spinning. She learned from the Sumpsters how to crochet, and found it much more agreeable work, but her industrious, unpretending mother thought this rather an unprofitable way of spending time, and would not indulge her in it. The spinning wheel, however, showed very plainly how little interest she took in it, and was a sad-looking affair. The thread was all falling from the spindle, the hanks of beautiful yellow flax were tumbled about like bunches of old tow, and the poor mother grieved and scolded about it. Now Maggie had been taught by her mother to do all kinds of fine spinning, at a much earlier age than little girls are generally put to such work. But the mother professed not to be able to trust her with anything but the very coarsest materials, and kept her upon them the little thing felt grieved to see all the fine flax wasted and she pitied lisa too for having to do what she so much disliked so sometimes she would go to her and say come let's see if i can't help you and taking care though to say it when the mother was out of the room in a few moments the broken thread was spun together again the flax was all smooth and in order and the yarn twisted firmly and evenly upon the spindle the little serving-maid would declare that maggie was a witch the mother would praise lisa's work and boast how beautifully she had sun-flax, though she could never trust Maggie with anything better than coarse wool or tow. And Lisa was not generous enough to tell the truth, but would take all the praise and hear poor Maggie depreciated. Her heart, though, was softened towards her, and she gradually left off her airs and unkind treatment. Thus, with her merry temper and obliging kindness, the little orphan managed to make friends of everybody. Everybody seemed glad to do her a good turn, and then remarked, herself least of all, how completely she ruled the whole house an unconscious queen. With that rosy little mouth of hers, she dared to say many a thing that would have come very ill from anybody else. Maggie, with her clear eyes, saw, too, many a thing that people did not wish seen. But she did not run straight to the mistress to tell of it. She seemed always to find a way of reproving and making them feel sorry for what they had done that was wrong. And she never did so intentionally, either. She never seemed to think of what she was going to do or say. But a holy horror of wrong, Implanted in her heart by that dear friend of hers in heaven God himself and carefully cultivated and strengthened by her mother Appeared to furnish her always with the right word at the right time At last the farmer's wife in an extraordinary fit of kindness Determined that little Maggie should go to school though. She did have some misgivings that it was rather extravagant to give advantages to the poor charity girl But the pastor and the schoolmaster were both heartily rejoiced at the idea and though for the poor child's own sake they dared not say too much of it. They managed so to convince the good woman of the great profit it would be to her and benefit to her own children that Maggie was finally permitted to go whenever there was nothing to do at home, which, as may be readily imagined, was not often. Seldom as it was, though, so well did the delighted child employ her mind, her hands, and her time, so industriously did she work with the books and copy-books and ink and pens, that the more wealthy children gladly lent her, that it was not long before she was able to assist even miss lisa herself with her exercises and lessons the master often gave them questions in arithmetic to work out at home and in the late afternoons when the work was all done and the house cleaned up maggie would climb to her perch in the linden tree and labor over her slate until the question was answered then with a shout of i've got it i've got it she would leap to the ground and dance over the grass in delight But to tell the truth it was not much sympathy that she got for her success in such matters george sometimes would let her explain to him the difficulties of the sum and show him how she got the answer and how she proved it but study was a thing about which not even george gave himself much concern and as to the rest they never thought of it hannah the younger of the two servant maids and the one who had been so desirous of going to america was in the habit of going to the town with the butter and eggs that were to be sold and when the quantity was large. Maggie was sent to help her carry them. For a long time the mother, whose butter was much sought after, had been greatly dissatisfied that the amount she received for it had been so small. But still her confidence in Hannah was not in the least shaken, for she thought she had proved her to be a true-hearted, honest maiden. So when Hannah said, "'Indeed, ma'am, nobody pays me as much for the things as they used to give.' The mistress felt sure that it was so. Maggie, however, soon observed that Hannah did not give the mistress all of even what she did get, and she carried a little purse of her own. The secret weighed heavily on her heart. One day, as they were returning from the town, Hannah was joined by a friend of hers who lived near, but was to sail the very next day for America, and they began to talk about the pleasures and advantages of the new world. "'I shall never be able to go.' said hannah with a sigh it takes so long to get together money enough to pay the passage in the city you can get it faster yes replied the town servant wages are higher in the city but then in the country there are so many things to be sold that you can easily make a little profit one way or another hannah would not agree to this and soon after they parted the town girl went into the house of her employer and hannah took the road back to the farm i should be very much afraid said maggie to go to america she crossed that great big water Why, yes," said Hannah. "It must be a little frightful, but then, when you're once over it, you'll never think of it again." But there's many a ship lost in going over," persisted the little girl, shaking her head incredulously. "Many a one goes to the bottom." And many a one goes safely too, and many a one comes back safely to tell of it," said Hannah coolly. "I wonder," continued the child, "whether it's true what they say." "Whether what's true? What do they say?" asked Hannah. "'Why, that every vessel goes to the bottom that has dishonest money on board,' answered Maggie. "'What do you call dishonest money?' asked Hannah, with some little alarm in her manner. "'Money got by cheating, or robbing, or any other way that isn't honest,' answered Maggie. "'You know, sometimes people's fathers and mothers die, while the children are too little to take care of their property. "'So they leave for it for someone else to do it. "'And then it often happens that, instead of doing it honestly and spending it for the children—' They keep it all themselves, and leave the children poor. Well, such money, or what they get by any kind of cheating, they say will sink a ship when she gets just halfway across. There'll be a storm, and down she'll go. I don't believe a word of it, exclaimed Hannah, though at the same time she seemed very nervous. It is impossible that there should be any ship going across without some such money on board, carrying such crowds as they do. I don't know, persisted Maggie. I asked the schoolmaster about it once, and he said that he did not know... Well, that was exactly true, "'but he knew another thing just as bad that way, "'and what I asked him about was a kind of pattern in it. "'That was that, in our voyage over the sea of life "'into the regions of eternity, "'every penny dishonestly come by "'would keep weighing upon the soul heavier and heavier, "'dragging it down deeper and deeper, away from God.' "'Hannah did not say another word. "'She went home, and when she paid into the hands of the mistress "'the money she had got for the butter, eggs, and cream "'that she had sold, The good woman was utterly astonished at the largeness of the sum, and wondered what could have happened to raise the market prices so suddenly. Maggie slept upon a little straw pallet in the room with the housemaids, and that night she saw and heard Hannah tossing and tumbling on her bed in the most uncomfortable manner. At last the girl got up, went to her chest, and began to count over some money. But as Maggie kept very still, Hannah thought she was asleep and did not see her. The next morning, while Hannah was hanging out the wet clothes that had just been washed, Maggie went to her and said, Will you hear if I know my verses? It's almost school time. Hannah was very willing to oblige her, and Maggie handed her the book and began to repeat, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, that's very well, said Hannah. Now the next. Let none among you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or a busybody in other men's matters. But if he suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Hannah this time did not lift her eyes from the book, but Maggie went on. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And now comes the last, said Maggie, for Hannah had not yet looked up or spoken. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Behold, I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The little thing said that on purpose, thought Hannah to herself, as Maggie took the book, and, thanking her for her help, danced off. But the next Sunday, Hannah went to the church, a thing she had not done for a long time. A few days after this, the mother called her husband in, in great astonishment. Stephen, come here quick, what do you think? just as i was now cleaning out my milk tin bin i found in it this roll of money fifteen pieces good coins from the mint i've been thinking over and over again if i could have put it there myself and i'm almost sure i never did oh perhaps the fairies did replied stephen with a laugh or maybe my old good godmother who has been dead so many years has repented of having hidden away her money as she did and brought you some of it for good luck i suppose you can use it at any rate "'Yes, indeed,' said the wife, delightedly. "'It is a most useful piece of good luck, and it comes so unexpectedly.' An assertion to which Stephen had nothing to object. From that day Hannah seemed like another creature. She grew brighter and more lively, and was as merry as a lark, and as obliging to everybody as Maggie herself. One day she said, laughingly to the little one, "'Maggie, when I go to America, the ship will float lightly enough, for not a dishonest penny will there be in my pocket.' Now, the little queen might well have felt proud enough that she had made a grown-up woman ashamed of her having done wrong, and led her to make amends for her fault. Most children would have felt so. But Maggie did not. When she had first found out that Hannah was taking and hoarding up money that did not belong to her, she prayed to God, to whom she went with all her troubles, softly in her heart, that teach her the right way to put a stop to it, without betraying the poor girl to her mistress. So God, as he has said, he always will, answered her prayers, and the words she, a simple child, had uttered, had touched a conscience that had remained untouched by the daily house-worship of her master's family, and the many earnest appeals and prayers of the faithful church-pastor. For this the grateful orphan thanked her heavenly father with a full heart, but she never said a word about it to any living creature. The farmer was exceedingly nervous in his fears of fire, and had very strict in not allowing the least spark to be taken into stable or barns. Melker, the farm boy, however, troubled himself very little about that, and lighted his pipe in stable or shed, by night or by day, whenever he found himself alone. The heavy step of the farmer, or his wife, he could hear far enough off to give him time to stick it away in some hiding place or another, until they were out of sight again. The light-footed Maggie, though, who was sent everywhere at all times, had seen this for a long while, but she knew she should get her ears boxed if she undertook to remonstrate with the lad. "'and worse if she told of him. "'So once more she went to her dear and unfailing friend, "'the great God in heaven, "'and asked for guidance and discretion in this matter also. "'It was winter, and all the servants were in the habit "'of sitting all the evening in the warm spinning-room, "'where one night they were talking about a poor man "'who had that day been taken to the village madhouse. "'Each one in turn had some story of the same kind to relate, "'and at last it came to Maggie's turn.' To her they always listened with great attention, for her stories were generally interesting and well told. "'My mother,' said the little girl, "'once knew a person. Indeed, it was a person with whom she once lived at service in her youth, who was in just such a state as poor Carl Brenner was to-day, but they always let him go about just where he chose, and he never did anyone any harm. He was always as pale as death, and did nothing the whole day long, but carry about pails of water.' It seemed as if he could not bear to stop doing that one thing, and the maids all through that neighborhood got him to bring water for them. When night came, they had to lock him in the house, but before he went to bed, he would blow out every light and put out every spark of fire he could get at. He never talked to anyone, and hardly ever answered a question, but once a year he would rush about the whole day in the wildest way and cry, fire, fire, with a sad kind of a howl that went to your very heart. How did he come to be so? asked someone, with a shudder, in which all the rest joined. He was the son of a rich farmer, replied Maggie, and, in spite of all his father said, never could be made to take the least care about lights and fires. He would go all about with a lighted pipe in his mouth, and carry a burning candle into the barns and stables, with as little hesitation as into the kitchen. How it happened no one ever knew, but one night he must have dropped a spark without seeing it it smouldered and smouldered for a long time and about the middle of the night out it burst as it had been a very dry season and there was little water to be had by the time the people got there the fire had spread so wide that it was too late to do anything and the house and the barn were burned to the ground and all the poor animals that were in them were burned to death well in the confusion none of the family were missed everybody supposed they were somewhere else but when the day came nothing was to be seen of his mother and the baby This son, almost crazy with fear, looked everywhere himself, and at last they were found under some burnt beams that had fallen upon them. The mother had the dear little baby hugged up tight in her arms, but they were both so black and burned that hardly anyone would have known them. The son buried them with his own hands, so that no one should see him. But from that hour he was as crazy as I told you, and all the doctors they could get together couldn't help him. When Maggie stopped there was a dead silence. Malker's pipe had gone out, but he did not seem to notice it, and when he went to the stable to look round before going to bed, instead of sticking it, as usual, into his pocket, he left it lying on the stove. The next evening, before he went out to the barns, he said to Casper, Here, you take my pipe and keep it till I come back. I'm afraid of dropping the fire. And for two whole weeks he never once attempted to smoke, as long as he was in any of the outbuildings. Thus Maggie, by the guidance of her heavenly counsellor, but only a little charity child reigned as a queen over all about her and with the brute creation she did still more with them she was queen in right earnest when lisa went into the barnyard to feed the poultry at her call they would come fluttering and running from all quarters but in the midst of the meal if maggie's voice was but heard come luck 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 in an instant they left all and came flying towards her hens ducks pigeons all and everything and perched upon her hand and shoulders and would have eaten from her hand if she could but have waited for them. The farmer had a small flock of sheep that he had given in charge to a very competent farmhand, but he had very poor luck. All kinds of diseases had broken out among them, and carried off one after another, until only four remained. So Stephen concluded that keeping sheep, however profitable his neighbors seemed to make it, was rather poor business for him, and determined to give it up. But Maggie had heard a great deal upon this subject, and by no means agreed with him she declared that it was much cheaper to raise one's own mutton and wool than to buy them and so she begged to be allowed to try her hand at it behind the ditch where the willows grew was a bit of grass that seemed to be of no great value this she thought would be a good place to pasture them the farmer laughed heartily at her proposal yes said he you will look after the sheep but who after you oh i cousin shall not need any looking after just those few sheep and so near the house when i have to take them farther away then somebody can look after me She was so in earnest that the farmer consented, and the first sunny day off went Maggie with her sheep, and a shepherd's crook a good deal longer than herself. She paid no heed to the jokes and jeers of the servants, but decked herself out to the best of her means, and then took her seat upon a little hillock in the center of the piece of grass. From this spot she could see every part of the field, and watch at her ease her new pets, who soon learned to follow her wherever she went after a short time the flock was increased by the birth of a lamb and then how she rejoiced she tended it as if it had been a little baby and very triumphantly did she look about her when she let out a flock of five instead of four she nursed and petted the little thing all day and when she went home at night with her black hair encircled by the crown of flowers that she had made she carried it in her arms that nothing might happen to it and that it should not tire itself by trying to keep up with its mother the mother sheep, however, did not seem to think this precaution necessary, or perhaps she was afraid that little Maggie was going to take away her little one, for she trotted along as close to her as she could walk and kept looking up in her face in the most pitiful manner and bleeding and baying, and the little lamb stuck out its head and looked down at her and seemed to have a very great inclination to jump down and trot along too. But Maggie laughed at them both. For shame, old sheep, she said, with your baying, You ought to be glad that I carry your baby for you, for you cannot do it for yourself you are so old and so stupid don't you see that i'm not doing either of you the least harm and you little lamb do you keep still until i get you home and then i will put you on the ground and you may do as much jumping and running as you like i don't know whether or not sheep can understand what is said to them but little by little maggie's sheep became reconciled to her ways and let her do as she chose without making any objections to the school maggie had seldom indeed been able to go since she had been a shepherdess, but she never failed to learn carefully the lessons that were given to the class, and on this account she liked the lonely days in the sheep pasture much better than she did those during which she was employed in the house. Anyone who was listening at a little distance would have thought that there was a church somewhere in the neighborhood, for the first thing she did when she got to the field, and she went there very early, was to sit down upon her hillock and sing a pretty morning hymn, Then, in a loud, clear voice, she repeated all the verses she knew by heart, and it sounded just like preaching. And all this time the child's heart was as peaceful and holy as many a church, for the great God had taken up his abode in it. So calm, so contented was this little destitute orphan, so satisfied for all that her Heavenly Father had given her, that often and often she could not think what in this wild world she wanted more than she had it is very doubtful if ever a queen upon her throne was as perfectly happy as this little charity child in her lonely pasture field the old grandmother had not been at first very kind to maggie to be sure the old lady had very much liked christine the spinning woman maggie's mother and had found her always very useful and obliging but that was no reason why now that she was dead and buried they should be burdened with her child to her a rich farmer's wife and descended from a long line of ancestors every one of whom had been rich farmers. There was an unspeakable difference between the poor orphan and the children of her son. She thought that the girl ought to have been sent to the workhouse, or she would have been properly broken in, as Granny expressed it, and made fit to be taken, one of these days, by someone as a servant, which was, of course, her proper place. The gentle but lively temperament of the little creature had, all along, sorely annoyed her when she heard the little voice caroling the light gay song the old woman's heart was ready to burst with spite and vexation that a miserable beggar child like that who owned no more in all the wide world than could be stowed away in a small trunk should dare be so merry and light-hearted yes she would say with a sneer sing away it's all you can do and still more outrageous was she when she heard maggie every morning telling her dreams such a piece of impertinence as it was for the little hussy to dream at all much less to talk about it afterwards but after a while this was changed she soon saw hard as she tried to shut her eyes to the fact how industrious the little girl was and how watchful of everything connected with the interests of the house or the family and felt obliged whether she wanted to or not to treat her with more kindness granny although very near the grave for she was a very old woman was not really a christian She had not, like the orphan Maggie, set God always before her eyes to acknowledge Him in all her ways. Her greatest trust and most constant thought was her money, and those who had none she looked upon as unworthy her notice and treated as if they had no feelings. There was one little Bible verse that was always uppermost in Maggie's mind, but never entered Granny's. It was this, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and he will direct thy paths. And that one verse made all the difference between the two, made the one constantly win friends, and the other as constantly lose them. Granny was fast becoming old and infirm. She could no longer work, but loved to sit upon the bench before the house door in the sunshine, and feel her blood move more quickly in the pleasant warmth. The daughter-in-law, who had taken the place of housekeeper, of course, since Granny had been forced to give it up, didn't like to show how much it vexed her to see the old lady always sitting there and thus keeping possession of the most pleasant spot for the old mother had a snug little property of her own which she was free to leave to whom she pleased and therefore must be treated with great respect but the poor old lady was very helpless now she could no longer dress or undress herself or go alone up the steps that led to her little bedroom but she was obliged sometimes to wait a long and weary time until her daughter-in-law thought she could make it convenient to come and help her. When she was longer than usual in coming, she would pretend to think that she thought someone else had done it, and as she came in would put up her hands in surprise and exclaim, "'Well, I declare, are you waiting here yet, Granny? Why, Lisa, what in the world have you been about? Why haven't you been here helping your grandmother?' Lisa would answer, when she took the trouble to answer at all, "'I thought Hannah had seen to her.' And Hannah, when appealed to, thought her mistress had attended to the matter." Maggie had gone out so early with her sheep every day that she had no opportunity of seeing all this. But when a severe storm came that kept them all at home for a day or two, she saw how affairs stood with poor Granny, and from that time forth stopped every morning to dress the old woman and help her downstairs to her pleasant bench before the door before she set out. How could Granny feel the soft, warm rays shining on her poor old body without thinking of the kind-hearted little girl who thus repaid her for all the unkind things she had said and done to her. Had she been a Christian woman, she would have offered up many a prayer for the poor motherless child. But as it was, she only WONDERED how the child could so soon have forgotten her ill-treatment. Granny was quite deaf too, and, like all other old people, was very curious to hear what was going on. Whenever she heard any noise in the spinning room, the sound of voices talking, and especially any good hearty shouts of laughter, she would look eagerly from one to the other and ask, "'What? How? What are they saying?' and so on. Now and then one of them would stop and bawl a few words in her ear, but she saw very plainly that that was not all, and often the poor old creature concluded within herself that it was not worth while to inquire anything more. But now Maggie would come with her spindle and sit close to her. The child had a soft, sweet voice, as clear as the ring of a bell, and would repeat to her all that had been said and do it in so droll a manner as to make the others redouble their screams of laughter and old granny joined in with them the most amused and delighted of the party on sunday she would lead her out into the little garden and though it obliged her to stay home from church read her from the new testament or a sermon or some prayers and repeat the most beautiful hymns she knew thus the rich old woman and the orphan charity child became firm friends it was strange to hear that little creature teaching her aged companion the way to heaven and stranger still to see how the old woman hung upon every word the child said when as she often used to she prayed to the dear and holy saviour to open poor granny's heart and help her to understand the bible it was pure kindness of heart that made maggie take so much pains to make poor granny happy and yet there was another reason why she liked to be with her she could talk to her about her own dear mother whom every one else seemed to have quite forgotten to be sure it was not a great deal that even granny knew to tell your mother she said she once was born in this town and went away when she was in her fourteenth year honor be to her memory she was always a little proud and stuck up and had a great longing for the city it was said that she got into the service of great people and went with them somewhere a long way off and so for a long long time nothing more was heard of her but after full four-and-twenty years she came back with you, and neither of you looked as if things had been going very well. She was still ill, for she had had the smallpox, which had pitted her face very much, and you were a miserable-looking little thing about two years old. Who your father was I don't rightly know, but I believe he was a soldier. She never said much about him, nor about her master and mistress, only that they had not treated her well. The smallpox had left her nearly blind, so that all she could do was to spin— "'but as she was a master-hand at that, she always got plenty of work about here. "'She never got perfectly well, and when she died, my daughter-in-law took you, "'which made me angry enough at the time, "'but I don't know what I should have done now without you.'" This was all that Maggie could ever learn about her parents, but she thought of it over again and again, and filled up the gaps with all manner of strange and wonderful things from her own imagination her dream that she was a queen with a golden crown upon her head often came into her mind she did not know why and so did all the wonderful stories she had ever heard of high-born children who had been carried off in their childhood and passed their lives in obscurity particularly when she was alone in the field watching her sheep with no employment but knitting would her busy brain be filled with such things but then too in the midst of them she would remember what the church pastor said once when he preached to the schoolchildren and which he had thought of many times since he had said my dear children remain gladly in your lowly state and thank god that he has put you there for there you are free from those dreadful temptations that beset the rich and great be more careful to become wise than to grow rich and you will have a rich reward hereafter then she would make a wreath of daisies and put it on her head and exclaim here i am queen maggie End of chapter 1